Good morning. You are listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. Due to the COVID-19 novel coronavirus, we have suspended having our Sunday morning church services for March 22nd and March 29th. Nonetheless, we didn't want to leave our congregation or anybody else who might listen to these podcasts without the encouragement and the proclamation that comes from hearing God's word read and spoken. So this morning, a group of fewer than 10 of us have gathered at First Baptist Church to worship, to hear God's word in song, for prayer, and for the scriptures to be read and proclaimed. And so that is what we will do this morning. We are praying for you in whatever you're going through in this time. And we hope that as soon as things return to some sort of normalcy, that we can worship with you at 819 John Adams Street, Oregon City, Oregon, Sunday mornings at 1030. In the mountains of joy, in the valley of tears, I will trust you when the flames burning bright when I'm weary and dry I will love you I will trust you you are my strength and you are my song giving me hope and God remains and your love is the same at all times when the guidance is clear when I can't see ahead I will love you I will trust you in the summer of life in the soul's darkest night I will love you I will trust you you are my strength and you are my song giving me hope and guiding me on at all times I will sing of your greatness at all times I will sing your goodness remains and your love is the same at all times
Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Dear Father, we come before you, you who are mighty above all. You have control over all that happens. And now, even though our service is of a different format, we know that you are here and the Holy Spirit is with us. And I ask that you be with the people who are concerned, maybe even frightened, maybe even panicked about the situation that is going on with the coronavirus. And Lord, I ask that we follow the guidelines that our government and other agencies have put before us. And yet that's just one part of it. I ask that we put our hope and our faith and our trust in you, Lord, that you will protect us during this time, that you would put a shield around us. Lord, I thank you for the service today, different that it is. I ask that you be with our pastor as he brings a message. And I hope that the words that he speaks will resonate in the hearts of those. And I asked you as a listener, as you hear these words, that the Holy Spirit will be in your life and these words will resonate with you. And I pray for those who are ill, Lord, that you would be with them. Should anyone test positive for the virus, help them not to become downtrodden. Help them to follow the advice of the ones that are taking care of them. And, and help them to look to you and put their hope and trust in you, Lord. Thank you for this church. And even though we don't have a public uh, worship service, we can still shine for you, Lord. And with this, I pray, amen. I should have mentioned this earlier, but thank you to Melissa Mellinger, our Director of Music and Youth, for the song. And thank you to Jim Leatherman, our church moderator, uh, for praying this morning. <clears throat> our scripture this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. And over the past few weeks, we have been following Jesus from the point when he decided he was heading for Jerusalem and we will be following him until he gets to Jerusalem and eventually to the cross. And so right now we're going to look at another stop along the way in Luke chapter 13. One Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had, she had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called over to her and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. 
But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was little, growing up in church, the Sabbath and Sunday practices always confused me a little bit. We would, we would be in church, and we would hear that the Sabbath was for a day of rest, that, that it was to be, you know, that Sundays were for, um, for not doing work. We heard passages like this, um, you know, other places in the Bible where the Sabbath is discussed. But then we'd go to the grocery store, or we would go down to Taylor's Market and rent a movie to watch that evening as a family. And so I, I, always, I always thought this was strange. And then later on, we started going getting something to eat on Sunday mornings after church. Or we would, we would go out to eat, you know, and the waitress would come over and, and take your order and all of that. And I thought, how does this fit into the Sabbath? We've had a lot of rules and regulations and laws in our country, in the United States, regarding the Sabbath, regarding Sundays, things that you can and can't do on Sundays that have been put into place by well-meaning legislators who want to kind of force people to take a break on Sundays, but yet there are always those people who still have to work on Sundays, whether you're a server at a restaurant, a checkout person at a grocery store, or a first responder, or a soldier, or a nurse, or a doctor, an ambulance driver. There are people who got to work on Sundays. And so it brings into question, before we ever get to this story of Jesus, what is the Sabbath? It's a valid question to look at in this passage. The Sabbath makes its first appearance in Genesis chapter 1, where God has created, he has separated the day from the night, the water from the land, you know, so on and so forth. He creates humanity as the pinnacle of his creation. And he says it is very good and he does that on the sixth day of creation. On the seventh, he takes a day to enjoy time with humanity. And that humanity can take time to enjoy life with God. And when we take the time to enjoy life with God, we often refer to that as 
worship. The next time we really see the Sabbath becoming a thing is in the book of Exodus. The Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt, and after a series of signs and wonders, the Lord delivers them out of their bondage and into freedom. And in the Ten Commandments, we see the command to keep, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And from there, we see what the Sabbath day really is all about. It is a rest for God's people to recognize what God has done. And there are parts in the Torah and the law that follow Exodus that define things that can and can't happen on the Sabbath. And now we get to Jesus. Because Jesus, in this passage, has a conundrum. As Jesus often does. As we've gone through these, these, uh, these little steps on the way towards Jerusalem, we see that Jesus often gets wrapped up in, in other people's problems. And in this case, though, Jesus has inserted himself into this situation. Knowing it's the Sabbath, knowing he's at a synagogue, knowing that every eye is watching him, he calls over a woman who has been doubled over. We think our lives are public now, with social media and with friendships and things like that and, and nosy neighbors. Uh, I can't remember their names, but I think of the nosy neighbors from Bewitched who are always trying to figure out if uh, the Stevens family really were uh, witches or not. But in Jesus' time, your life was very public, even if you were deemed unimportant. Everyone would have known this poor woman who had been doubled over. Jesus looks on her with that compassion that only Jesus seems to have in, in these passages. And he heals her. He calls her over and he heals her. And this puts the leader of the synagogue in a tough spot. Because... Jesus wasn't a real popular guy with the rest of the, the Jewish religious leaders. And if the synagogue leader's like, oh, hey, great, you know, this lady's cured, then he sided with Jesus. And if he decides that, you know, I really need to say something to this guy about healing on the Sabbath, he might be right, but he comes off looking like a jerk. And he decides to be a jerk about it. <laughs> you, you can't fault him, though, in one respect, because he was just doing what he th thought and knew to be right. And he was following the law. He was following the law as he knew it to be followed. But Jesus calls in to question a different issue. Are we going to be loyal to rules? Or are we going to break the rules to oppose the grip of darkness? 
Last week, I elaborated a little bit on uh, demons and darkness and the, the dark power that, that swirls around us and tries to set up authority in a world where all authority has been given to Jesus. But Jesus in this situation questions, has a big ethical question on his mind. And that is to preserve life or to keep the law. And what Jesus decides is that human life is loved and blessed by God. Now, we're not just talking about the big events in the human life when we usually ask God to bless us. Think baby dedications. We hold the child aloft and, and ask that God would bless the child and bless the family. Think baptisms, where we recognize that this child that has now grown up and decided to follow Jesus, we, we baptize that child in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into the church and bless that, that person. This person grows up and they get married. And we have a ceremony where we ask God to bless the marriage. And eventually, at some point, this, this person will, will die. And we ask that God will watch over them and, and bless their family in their grief. And so we think about God blessing us in the big moments and blessing life human, in the, human life in the big moments. But what we miss a lot of times is that Jesus is very interested and God blesses day-to-day life. There's a great word, quotidian. It's a big word that just means normal everyday life. The normal everyday things. Jesus is interested in. Here's a woman who can't stand up straight. It is affecting the way that she can live. Imagine your life right now. If you had a condition, any number of conditions that would cause you to be hunched over, it would be difficult for you to do the things that you do on a day-to-day basis. It would affect everything from getting into bed at night, getting out of bed in the morning, brushing your teeth, how you eat your meals, how you go to the grocery store, how you get dressed. And this woman had been doing it for 18 years. And in Jesus' response to the Sabbath, the synagogue leader, he says something interesting. This dear woman has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Now, was Jesus saying that she literally was being held hunched over by Satan? Or was what Jesus saying that whenever the conditions of life prevent human flourishing as God intended, that it's a sign of the darkness that rules this age. 
I tend to think that it's the latter. Because there are a lot of things that prevent people from, as the kids are saying these days, living their best life. And a lot of times when, when people use that phrase, living your best life, it means that you don't really have to work too hard and you, you just get to kind of laze around all day. But the best life in God's kingdom is a life that has a balance of work and rest, that has a balance of normal, everyday functions that, that keep life going. A normal meal shared around an ordinary table may not be fancy, but it's a blessing. That feeling that you get when you finished sweeping the room and you can see like, oh yeah, that does kind of look different. Vacuuming does really help, help carpets. That's a blessing because it's part of normal day-to-day -day life that allows us to enjoy our homes. This woman was in constant pain and thus she could have no rest. So for 18 years, this woman was not flourishing because she had no Sabbath. 18 years without a rest. Think about some of the people in our society who are under the same grip of darkness. Think about people who have to work three different jobs just to be able to pay rent, just to be able to put food on their table. Economic oppression prevents human flourishing. Think about people who, because of a disability or because of something that's happened in their past or one significant or insignificant bad choice, They've been turned into an outcast in our society. And they're never accepted. They're never loved. They're le never given an opportunity to be a part of the larger community. They get no rest. What Jesus is prioritizing here is the ability for human flourishing to happen as being something that is blessed by God. Jesus also asks the question about whether it's more important to keep the spirit of the law or the letter of the law. Because going back to something I said earlier, the synagogue leader had a point. He had, he had some ground to stand on. He wasn't trying to trip Jesus up. He had tradition, he had Torah that he could stand on and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't have done that. But what he kind of missed was the spirit of the law. The law wasn't given with the intention, as Paul says, as the Apostle Paul says, 
of bringing death. The law was given to call God's people out as God's very own people and have them living in a way that promoted human flourishing at the time. And there are things that we look back on in the law now that we live under grace. There are things that we look back on that we go, oh yeah, that's, we don't live that way now. We don't, we don't go along with this. But the intention was to promote life as a community of people who belonged to the living God. And that this life would be so attractive that it would bless other nations. It would bless the groups of people that they were called out from. And I think the synagogue leader misses that. Because what Jesus sees is that even though the law would have prohibited him by its letter from healing this woman, by the spirit of the law that was meant to bring life, he did heal her. Because the law wanted to draw God's people into community with other people. And if this woman was bent over, she was very much at least one step removed from the community. Jesus points out that even the synagogue leader does normal, everyday things that promote life and flourishing on the Sabbath. He feeds his donkey. He takes care of his possessions. And technically, that was not allowed on the Sabbath, but it promoted life. If we are to be followers of Jesus who promote life, there are going to be times that it may be a little uncomfortable for us to do so. There may be times that we get uncomfortable with how we have to promote human flourishing. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that one of the people he most closely identifies with is a prisoner. How many of us regularly visit people in prison? We may be afraid to to go into prisons, to go into dark places, and not everybody is called to go into those places. But when we hear about terrible conditions in a prison, when we hear about terrible conditions in a penitentiary and abuses that happen there, 
Isn't Jesus concerned with those people too? This is just an example of how being supportive of life may put us in an awkward situation. But we fall back on the thing that Jesus fell back on, is that the original intention of the Sabbath, the original intention of creation was for God to create a good world in a good way so that people could love and glorify him for who he is. And part of that involves work and part of that involves rest. I want to close with a few thoughts on Sabbath and the coronavirus. In the grind of life, sometimes all we want is some rest, don't we? We go to our work, we, we go about our daily routines, we fulfill our social obligations, and sometimes we think, man, wouldn't it just be great to have a day off where we didn't have to do anything? <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> Here we are. And I know the reason that we are using phrases like social distancing, self-isolation, and quarantine right now is for the safety of everybody. It's for the safety of the least of these. It's for the safety of the elderly, for people with compromised immune systems, for people who, have, uh, who already have diseases that make them weaker. And I think something that the world is waking up to is this pattern of work and rest. People are told, stay in your homes, and they want to go out and do things. Now, I would not classify partying on Floridian beaches as work, but we want to go out. We want to be social. We want to be with other people. It's kind of shown us just how much we need each other. When we look at this passage, I think it directly applies to what's going on in our world right now. Because if a woman who has been over for 18 years is in the grip of the darkness that we so often give voice to as Satan, then I would say an illness, a virus that is sweeping the world and holding so many in the grip of fear is also the work of this darkness. And I think we need to name that right up front. This is not judgment in any way. This is a testament to the fact that the world is broken and that things are not right. But the blessing of it 
is that it's showing us so much about ourselves. It's showing us how important that balance between work and rest is. It's showing us how important community is. It's showing us how vital we are to each other. And it's causing us to care for each other in new and different ways. Creativity seems to be flourishing right now because all of the people who used to be making things for TV commercials and for profit and everything like that, they have more time to work on personal projects. And I lament, I, I, I am very sad for the fact that they are also losing out on their livelihood. Don't get me wrong. But we're seeing people be creative. We're seeing people bring light into the world. The Shedd Aquarium in Chicago is putting up daily videos where they let their penguins roam around the aquarium. And I think, even though we're mired in this present darkness, what might, li what might life be like at some point when this is past? Will we be better for it? Will we understand the divide between work and rest better? Will we give each other permission to say, I need a break? There's much for God's people to testify to right now. And I pray that we have the strength and creativity to do so. Amen. We thank you for being a part of our recorded worship service this morning. Uh, it is a little unusual and a little unorthodox, but, uh, but we are grateful to be here, grateful for the opportunity. Uh, we'd like to thank our sound engineer, Gary Hunley, and his assistant, Doreen Hunley. And we would like to thank Katie Witham for encouragement and support and for, uh, for filling my mug with coffee this morning. Just remember three things in this dark time. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, and wash your hands. Amen. <laughs>